0: Warm Christian greetings to all of you dear people this morning. I wish you God's grace and peace. It's wonderful to be gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I have been blessed by the singing this morning, by the singing of Christmas-themed songs, reminding us of that wonderful exchange that we just sang about. Think about that. Behold the wonderful exchange our Lord with us doth make And then he describes it. Lo, he assumes our flesh and blood, and we of heaven partake. And it's almost as, at the end of that verse, the writer really should have some question marks. Is this really a fair exchange? Like, he actually did that? Is that a fair exchange? No. I mean, it's not. I mean, because I deserve death. I deserve judgment because I'm a sinner. And yet, through that wonderful exchange, you see, the Christmas story isn't just about the manger, but it's, it's really about the cross as well. Through that wonderful exchange, we of heaven partake. We experience the glory of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That blood then being applied to our lives through faith as we believe that. And we have heaven partake. And I trust that fills you with joy, not only this morning, but this Christmas season in a special way as you ponder what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to die for you and me. This morning I do want to think about songs. I want to think about Singing. Because, see, at Christmas time, the world bursts into song. And I would say that there is no other holiday, no other special occasion, no other special event anywhere that is surrounded with as much singing as the celebration of Jesus' birth. Oh, we sing about his death and resurrection, we do, but there is no other time that we sing as much as at the birth of Jesus, celebrating his birth. And so, you know, from little children singing away in a manger to Bible school choirs, to school choirs, to college choirs, to professional touring groups, you know, whether it's vocals or bands or orchestras, I mean, from nine lessons in carols to the Handel's Messiah to you name it, (laughs) the world is singing in celebration of jesus birth i find that fascinating that even many unbelievers burst into song in celebration of jesus birth now isn't that wonderful (laughs) isn't that wonderful you know jesus says i will be praised (laughs) you know if if you don't praise me well the rocks and the stones they're going to cry out I will be praised. And even the unbelievers do that at Christmas time. They praise the Lord. And so, you know, the music of Christmas is certainly not a new addition to the glorious celebration that we read about in Luke 1 and 2. No, it's not a new addition because surrounding that story, Luke 1 and 2, We have singing. We have praise. And so this morning we will look at four of the first Christmas carols that were ever sung. And you can turn to Luke chapter 1 and 2. That's going to be where we draw our text from this morning. And I've chosen the title, The Songs of Christmas. I wonder what your Christmas music playlist looks like. What characterizes the songs that you are listening to the month of December? What characterizes the songs that you sing that are going through your head? Hopefully it's not the songs that you're hearing in Walmart, okay? But what characterizes your playlist this month? And as we look at these four carols, I'm calling them this morning, as we look at them this morning, we will find that these songs were characterized by praise, by pardon, by peace, and by promise. And as you make that the theme of your Christmas songs, you will truly experience the spirit of Christmas. The true spirit of Christmas. You see, in in the midst of all the parties and the candy and the shopping and the gifts and the baking and the eating and the dashing and the jingling all the way and all of that, in the midst of that, these four carols will take us back to what Christmas is all about. And so this morning we want to look first of all at Mary's song of praise and then at Zachariah's song of pardon Thirdly, "The Angel's Song of Peace." and then lastly, reiterating what the brothers shared this morning a bit, Simeon's Song of Promise." Now in the early centuries of the church, the Bible was translated into Latin. And so from that time until today, these four songs that we're going to note in these two passages, these four songs have best been known by their Latin titles. And in each case, the title is simply the first word or the first few words of the very first line of the song. And so Mary's song of praise is known as the Magnificat, meaning, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Zachariah's song of pardon is known as Benedictus, meaning, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The angel's song of peace is known as Gloria in excelsis. Glory in the highest. And Simeon's song of promise is nunc dimittis, meaning now dismiss thy servant Lord. It's a beautiful, it's a touching song. It really is. Now dismiss thy servant Lord. I've waited. You've answered. I'm ready to go now. Now, before we look at these four carols, let's just note some similarities in these songs and people. Uh, specifically, Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon. There's some similarities in the songs and the people. These songs flowed out of a personal experience that they had. They're not talking about someone else's experience. These songs are not joy over something they heard somewhere else. No, but these songs flowed out of a personal experience that they had. Secondly, these people recognize the mighty hand of God at work in their lives. Now I want you to know, and I hope you understand, that God is doing mighty things in all of our lives. He is. He is a God that does wonders. My question is, are you recognizing it? Are you seeing it? It's not that God is just simply doing wonderful things In Africa, or Haiti, or some other state, or some other church. God is doing wonderful things in this church. God is doing wonderful things in your family, in your life. Do you see it? Where is your perspective anyway? These people, they recognized the mighty hand of God at work in their lives. Their eyes were open to that. And this produced a spontaneous song. And the emphasis there is on spontaneous. Like when God did something for them, when God worked this mighty thing in their life, then they didn't stop and say, now, what should I do? I see God did something. That's pretty great. Uh, what, what should I do now? Maybe I should, uh, you know, give someone a high five or jumping jacks or, <laughs> you know. or No, but they Burst into song. Dear people, that is the natural response of the believer when they recognize God's mighty work in their lives. They burst into song. Uh, For example, David, Psalm 40. We read, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, and establish my goings. And what? <laughs> and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. That's it. <laughs> That's an example. Now, I understand that may not be specifically talking about David's salvation experience. It may be speaking about... A deliverance from his enemies. I understand that. But it is a clear picture of our spiritual salvation. It is a picture of what God has done for us. And I say when God's people recognize. When they see and acknowledge what God is doing in their lives. It should cause you to burst into song. And we'll see that in these four carols. I also notice that these four People, I say four people. <laughs> the angels were a group. But uh, Mary, Zachariah, Simeon in particular, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Spirit-filled people sing spirit-filled songs. Spirit-filled people make... Spiritual proclamations. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells within them. Let's look at at these four carols and let's start first of all with Mary's song of praise. As we find it here in Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath shown strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty away. He hath helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As He spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever, Mary's song of praise. I want you to notice, first of all, that Mary's song of praise was not praising herself. It was not about exalting herself. Look at what God has done for me. Yeah, it's because of, you know, I've been trying to live a good life. It's because I I love the Lord and so... Look at what, no, it wasn't that at all. Her song of praise was all about exalting the Lord. In fact, look at who she says, look at what she says about herself. She refers to herself as the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid. That is speaking of the very lowest of female servants. That is the term for the very lowest female servants. That's what she said about herself. I find it interesting because in the Catholic religion. They hold Mary to a very high place. Equal, if not higher than Jesus Christ. Dear people, that is not being true to Mary. (laughs) That is not what Mary said. That was not the heart of Mary. Mary was all about exalting the Lord and referring to herself as the lowest of slaves, of servants. Notice that in that Magnificat, in that song of praise, she says eight times, He hath, He hath. She goes over and over about what God has done praising God for what He has done. First of all, for her, for Mary. Verses 28 and 30. This is earlier in the story when the angel Gabriel had come to Mary. The angel says that God has favored you. Verse 28. Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. God had favored her. God had blessed her. God was looking down upon her in a very special way. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Mary, God delights in you. You are special to Him. And Mary was thanking God For that, you know, God had chosen Mary from among other righteous women. God had chosen her to be the mother of Messiah. God had chosen her to deliver the deliverer. And now truly, Mary wasn't the only righteous woman out there. We know Elizabeth was close by and there was many others as well. We trust that. And yet God had bestowed his favor in a special way calling her out to be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary praised Him for that. God was also her Savior. Verse 47. Look what we read there. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. And she's thanking Him for that. What else had God done for Mary? Well, verse 48. God was mindful of her humble estate. And he was doing great things to her, through her, for her, and for all people. Verse 48 He hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. God was mindful of her humble estate. And because of all these things and much more, Mary was praising God. But Mary was also praising God for what He was doing for us. For all of mankind. Notice verse 50. His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. That goes further than just Mary. Uh, That goes and extends to us today. His mercy is on all those who fear Him generation after generation Notice here in the next several verses where we have three different categories of people. God's mercy extends to these people. Verse 51, He hath shown strength with His arm. God extends mercy to the helpless people. Strengthening them. Helping them. Verse 52, God extends mercy to the humble It says in the latter part of that verse, He exalts those of low degree. Verse 53, God extends mercy to hungry people. He hath filled the hungry with good things. He hath filled the hungry with good things. And I believe that to be much more than just simply physical hunger, material needs. But the Bible also says, Jesus' words, those who hunger after righteousness shall be filled. God's mercy reaches out to those people, to the helpless, to the humble, to the hungry. You know, Mary saw God. Mary saw the mighty one as one who turned things upside down. (laughs) <laughs> who, one who was working contrary to man's natural thinking. You know, when you look at those categories of people, you think about that. He strengthens those who are helpless. Uh, but it says he scatters the proud. He puts down the mighty ones and he exalts them a low degree. Like this is not man's natural thinking. It shouldn't be this way. He fills the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent them empty away. Mary saw God as the mighty one who can do the impossible, who does things once again that are contrary to our natural thinking. She believed in that kind of a God. Maybe that's why God favored her in a special way, because What was about to happen was in many ways an impossibility. And yet, what was Mary's response? Behold, what verse is this? She says, verse 38. This was her response. You see, the angel left by saying, With God, nothing shall be impossible. And she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Divine conception. I truly believed that is the moment Mary conceived. That's my surmising. But she heard the words of God through the angel Gabriel and she believed them Even though it defied human logic. She believed them. She surrendered herself to that. She said, be it unto me. Be it unto me. According to your word. Surrender. This doesn't make any sense. How how can this be? But she surrendered. And believed. And God is the God who works wonders. Who does the impossible. Mary's song of praise. Let's notice yet that she also praises God for what He has done in Israel. For Israel. Verses 54 and 55. He hath helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. You see, God was keeping His promise. God had prophesied many, many hundreds of years before that a deliverer would come to save His people. Many years before. And the people were waiting. They were waiting. And nothing had happened. But they were still waiting. At least a remnant of God's people were waiting. We're looking forward to that. We're anticipating that. And now, Mary praises God that He was keeping His promise that He had made years before to our fathers, to Abraham, to His seed forever. You see, the angel that came to Joseph said, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. embedded in that word Jesus was was why He came to earth. Jesus, God of salvation. The One who would save His people. That was His mission for coming. To bring salvation. You see, no matter how bad off Israel was, no matter how rebellious Israel was, God was going to keep His Word. God had promised He was going to carry through with that. He would show his mercy, and Mary recognized that, and she praised God for it. Let's move to the next song, the next carol in this passage, and that is Zachariah's song of pardon, the Benedictus. We find it here in chapter one, starting at verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation that speaks of strength for us in the house of his servant David. And he, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Are you seeing a theme? It's carrying from Mary's song right into this song, and I'm seeing mercy, and I'm seeing that God remembers his promises. Okay? Mercy, mercy. As he promised. Verse 72 again. To perform the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. The oath which He swore to our father Abraham that He would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. You realize here that Zacharias is speaking about his child, John, little baby John, to give knowledge, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, or perhaps a better tense of that word would say, shall visit us, anticipating that one visiting his people to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, I'm referring to this as Zachariah's song of pardon. And maybe you're wondering, why? Why am I calling it a song of pardon? Well, let's consider for a moment the context, the story behind this song. Did I not say that each of these songs flow out of personal experience? Did I not say that these songs each flow out of recognizing that God has done something mighty in my life? This is one of those. You see, we go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 1 and you know the story where there was a certain priest Zacharias, and his wife, Elizabeth. They were upright, godly. And we notice by the scripture that they were a praying couple. They probably prayed about many things, but we know in particular that they were praying for a child. Now, I don't know if they were still praying for a child, But when the angel Gabriel came, he said, your prayers have been answered. How long were they praying for a child? No doubt they had prayed for a child years ago. As newlyweds, they had prayed for a child. And as years went on, they probably prayed for a child. But I don't know. They may have stopped at some point. They may have. Maybe they stopped when they started realizing that, you know what? Honey, we're, we're kind of past that age now, aren't we? Yeah, honey, we are. Well, that's too bad. I, I, I was hoping that God would hear our prayers. Maybe we should move on to praying about other things now. I don't know. But the angel Gabriel came and appeared to Zacharias as he was fulfilling this special duty. It was his turn by lot to serve in the temple in this very important duty. And there he was, and the people were outside praying. This was a sacred occasion. The power of God was working there. And as he was going about his duties, the angel Gabriel appeared. And he says, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. God has heard you. And he says, A child will be born. A son will be born to you. And then he goes on to explain the details. What was Zacharias' response? Thank you, Jesus. No, it wasn't, it was a response of doubt. Now, you have to read a little bit between the lines here. It doesn't say he scoffed. It doesn't say that he snorted. It doesn't say that he went, You're yeah, right. I mean, maybe 30 years ago, but you're a little late now. No, it doesn't say that. But it says that he questioned God. Now, Mary had a question as well. Mary also said, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Very reasonable question, because she was thinking for her to be in this position, it would mean it would mean sin. I'm a virgin. I'm not that kind of a girl. That's a reasonable question. But between the lines here in Zachariah's question. We get more of a. Doubting, unbelieving response. In fact, what does he say? Verse 18, whereby shall I know this? Or how can I be sure of this? Putting God to the test. How can I be sure of this? Wait a minute, Zacharias. You have been praying. You and your wife have been praying. This is Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. And now you're saying, how can I be sure? response of unbelief. For I'm an old man, my wife, well stricken in years. And you see there how Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, responded. He says, because you did not believe my words, you will be struck dumb. Dear people, that's the background of this song of pardon. That's the background. That's the context. And so imagine Zachariah's anguish. Imagine his smitten spirit. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity and he blew it. There he was visited by Gabriel, of all things. Uh, But the news was so over the top. It was illogical. And in that moment, he silently scoffed. It was an attitude of unbelief. And because of his doubt, he was struck dumb. And now we come, nine months later, the angel's words have come true. And old Zacharias has learned his hard lesson. How do we know that? How do we know that he has learned his lesson? He had nine months to think about that. He had nine months to agonize. Those words kept ringing in his ears, because you didn't believe my words, because you... He probably had nightmares. He probably couldn't sleep. Here I am, a leader... A man of God. Go back to how God describes him in the beginning of Luke chapter 1. But in that moment, he stumbled. And now we see that old Zacharias has learned his hard lesson. Because when he wrote that his name shall be called John, he was going against the customs of the day. He was proving that he believed Gabriel. See, John shouldn't have been called John. John should have been called Zacharias. Should have been a family name. Where did John come from? Well, no one knew. There was no John in the family, okay? Where did John come from? The angel Gabriel. That's where. And so they said, what's his name? Elizabeth says, John, wait a minute. No, not John. Well, let's turn to Zacharias. What's his name? And when he wrote, His name shall be John. Dear people, his tongue was loosed. His tongue was loosed. He had learned his hard lesson. You see, when he did not believe God, he lost his opportunity to speak spiritual proclamation. But when he believed God, his tongue was loosed and he burst into a spiritual proclamation, spirit-filled. Dear people, there is a connection. There is a connection. The same was true for Mary. When she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, verse 45, And blessed is she that believed. Elizabeth says that about Mary and Mary bursts into song, her song of praise, her Magnificat. She believed and she had a voice to praise God. Zacharias didn't believe and he didn't have any words either. But when he believed and proved it, his tongue was loosed and he burst into his song of pardon. Thank you. It's a song that flows out of a heart that has been pardoned, has been forgiven, has been restored. You better believe Zacharias knew that in a very special way that day. And in that song of praise, he prophesied. Zacharias' song of pardon. Let's move on now to chapter 2 and notice a short song. A Christmas carol, and that is the angel's song of peace. The angel's song of peace. And we find it here in verses 13 and 14. Gloria in excelsis. Glory in the highest. Was their song. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I I said that these songs flowed out of a personal experience. (laughs) And really, in this song, we have a, a similar thrust. This song also flowed out of personal experience, and that is the angel's experience of being in the very presence of God in heaven. These angels were sent from heaven to earth to bear this wonderful news that a Savior has been born. They came from the presence of God Himself. Their place in heaven was that of worship. Adoration of God, the Heavenly Father. Of serving Him night and day. And now they are sent down to earth to share the news that God has sent His Son to be the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the One who would bring peace to God between God and man. Reconciliation. And the message was, praise to God, peace to man. You know, at that time in history, Rome had given the world peace, at least from war. Oh, Rome held a very heavy hammer. They certainly did. Rome was no fun thing to deal with. And yet they brought a sense of stability. They had brought a sense of peace to the world. But it was a temporary peace, dear people. Jesus came to give man peace with God. To give man peace within. It's a lasting peace. An enduring, eternal peace. Someone has put it this way. The reconciliation between God and mankind. The solution for the human condition of sin. Is summed up in a simple word, peace. Peace. You see, it's, it's a peace that divides, defies, I say, human logic. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about it when he says that the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. That's the power. That's what's behind it all. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one who came to bring peace, restoring that relationship between God and man. Giving us then the ability to be ministers of reconciliation where we are calling men and women back to God. Where we are peacemakers in everyday life. That's not possible without the Prince of Peace coming. But it it passes all understanding. We can't understand it. We can't make sense of it in our human minds. You see, true peace, dear people, is not defined by circumstances on the outside, But it's defined by a relationship on the inside. That is the the heart of it all. And on that chilly night, out there on the hills, outside of Bethlehem, the angels shared a message of peace to those troubled, lowly, unclean shepherds. You notice that the angels brought the message to the ones that were unclean. They were out working with the livestock. That were out for periods at a time away from the temple. Away from going back to be made clean. That's who the message was brought to first. It was a message of peace. Regarding their low estate. Yes, God was regarding their low estate. And God was promising peace. Through this child that was born. And most likely the word that those angels. Gave to the shepherds. Most likely the word that those shepherds heard was. Shalom. Shalom. Which carries with it the idea of completeness. Soundness and contentment. Shalom. How that must have brought new life and new joy, new purpose into the lives of those lowly shepherds. God is promising us completeness, wholeness, contentment. I can imagine they were never the same. In fact, you know the story. They then ran and found little baby Jesus. They worshipped Him there. And then they went and spread abroad the same. They let all the town know. I can see the shepherds running around with joy on their faces. Did you just hear? Did you hear about it? Do you know the Savior is born? Their lives were never the same. You know, Jesus' words to His troubled disciples many years later is an echo of the words we hear on that first Christmas morn. Many years later, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, Give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You see Jesus came as the prince of peace. And prophecy said that. Of the increase of his government. And peace. There shall be no end. Jesus came as the prince of peace. To bring lasting peace. Eternal peace. In the hearts of mankind. Jesus When He came, He came with a proclamation of peace. And then when Jesus left this earth, He also promised peace. The angel's song of peace. It's a wonderful song in the Christmas story. And I trust that it's a song in your Christmas playlist this year. Peace. Peace with God. And peace with mankind. It comes only dear people. Through knowing. Having a vibrant relationship. With the prince of peace. And then lastly. We have Simeon's song of promise. The nunc dimittis. As it is in the Latin. And we find this in Luke chapter 2. Starting at verse 25. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. According to thy word. Notice that Mary said a very similar thing in her response to the angel. According to thy word. I believe your word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This was a song that flowed out of seeing God's promise fulfilled. God had promised to his people But once again, I say that these songs flowed out of personal experience, right? God had promised to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. And now God had fulfilled his promise. Flowing out of the acknowledgement of that came this song, this spirit-filled proclamation Notice that Simeon was completely a Spirit-controlled man. Verse 25 says that the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 26 says that it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost spoke to Simeon. He was a man who heard from the Spirit. Verse 27 says that that particular day he entered the temple by the Spirit. And so the Holy Ghost was upon him, speaking of having authority over his life, controlling him. The Holy Ghost was speaking to him. There was a relationship between Simeon and the Holy Spirit. And Simeon was sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That day, it says he was directed by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. I'm wondering about myself. I'm wondering about you. How often do we miss great things? How often do we miss the opportunity to see God's power in a new and fresh way because we lack sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? What's controlling you? Who's speaking to you? What's dictating your actions? Something is someone is. Simeon was a spirit controlled man. The spirit was at the center, at the core of who he was. And that is absolutely essential to this story, to what happened next. Now, certainly Simeon had been to the temple many times. Simeon was an old man. He was a devout man, a godly man. He had been to the temple many times. And he was looking for the Messiah. Did he know how the Messiah would come? Well, if he was a Bible-believing man, if he knew the Scriptures, then he would have known that a child would be born one day. So he was probably looking for a youngster. But when Joseph and Mary brought little baby Jesus to the temple, that was not necessarily unusual. There were other godly parents that were doing the same thing. And so I can imagine that Simeon was often in the temple, and he was waiting, he was anticipating. And perhaps many times, he got sort of a flutter in his heart, and he thought, is that the one? And maybe he asked a question or two. No, that's not the one. There might have been even some other little baby Jesuses that had come into the temple with his parents. I mean, Jesus was a common name. That wasn't that unusual. But that day, the Spirit directed him to go into the temple. And I can just imagine that as Simeon was there, the Spirit spoke to him and said, Simeon, Turn a bit and look. And the Spirit said, That's the one. That's the one. And perhaps Simeon went over and said, What is this child's name? And perhaps Mary, as the angel had said, perhaps Mary said, "Uh, His name is Jesus. And perhaps then Joseph said, Emmanuel, and perhaps Simeon started crying, (laughs) God with us, God with us, wow, it's a beautiful story, it's a powerful story, and the Holy Spirit is at the very center of that story. A person that was controlled by the Holy Spirit, that was hearing the Holy Spirit, that was ordering his life in accordance to the nudges of the Holy Spirit, and look what God was doing. And so, Simeon was waiting, he was trusting, he was believing, and he was finally rewarded. He had seen by faith, but now he saw with his own two eyes. He saw. The salvation of God. He saw the Messiah. You see, once you have truly seen, once you have experienced, once you have drank deeply of the glory of God through salvation, it will absolutely change your perspective. Uh, You will never be the same. You will never see things the same. It reminds me of the words of the song. Show me thy face. One transient gleam of loveliness divine and I will never think or dream of other love save thine. All lesser light will darken quite. All lower glories wane. The beautiful of earth will scarce seem beautiful again when I have truly seen the glory of God through salvation, through a changed life, experiencing the grace and mercy of God, it will so change your life that you will never be the same. You will have a new purpose, a new mission, a new reason for living. You see, Simeon had a heart. He had a passion that all men, and this was mentioned this morning and I appreciate that, brother. He had a heart, he had a passion that all men would Come to salvation. Simeon went far beyond just the Jews being God's people. Just the Jews having salvation. He saw a much bigger picture of who God was than that. He saw that salvation was for all mankind. And the words that he spoke in that Jewish temple, they were dangerous words, perhaps. (laughs) Because there in the temple, he proclaimed salvation for the Gentiles. Yeah, how could he do that? How could he be so bold? How could he have that knowledge? Because he had the Spirit, that's why. And so he says, you have prepared this salvation before the face of all people. It reminds me of what Paul writes about in Titus chapter 2, where he says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared To all men. It has shined upon all men. Salvation is being something that shines. That beams forth from God the Father. To all mankind. Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. It's for whosoever will. Whosoever believes. Simeon had that knowledge. That was his passion. That was his heart. He saw salvation being a light to lighten the Gentiles beaming forth from God. Salvation being the glory. Jesus Christ being the glory of Israel. What has God promised you? Do you believe it? And are you committed to patiently waiting for it? Dear people, I just encourage you and challenge you to be a Simeon. Be a Simeon. Be a, a man, be a woman of faith. Be a man, be a woman that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Be one who is not only waiting, but is also then seeing the salvation of God in the everyday circumstances of life may your eyes be open so that you can truly see and truly then live out that faith in everyday life. The carols of Christmas. The songs of Christmas. Uh, There's many songs that are sung. There's many songs that are listened to around this time of year. But these four songs capture the spirit of Christmas like few do. They're characterized by praise by pardon by peace and by promise. Truly, that's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have blessed us so richly with another opportunity to gather together around your word. Father, there's many around the world today that would love to have this opportunity, but do not have that freedom. And we are blessed and we often take it for granted. Father, help us today to sense a new, a new appreciation uh, for Your Word, for the power of Your Word and for what it means to us and how it molds us and shapes us more in Your likeness as we allow it to, Father. Help us to believe Your Word, Father. Help us to learn from these characters in the Bible, in the Christmas story. People who, who had their ups and downs. People who were human. Who did not always get it right. But when they believe Your Word, They were filled with spiritual, spirit-filled proclamation. Help us to be one of those people, Father. And help us to be useful in your kingdom, wherever you have us. Whatever you have for us to do, help us to be people of faith. And Father, I pray that this Christmas season, we could share in a new and fresh way with those around us, challenging others, what the spirit of Christmas truly is. And may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.